everybody. Welcome back to the Thrive Infertility Podcast. This is your host, Kathy Quillett, um, owner of Tennessee Reproductive Therapy. I'm super glad that y'all are back today. I am excited, as I say all the time, to be in this space with you. Thank you for letting me in to your sacred story. And I hope that the conversation today is really honoring to you and really appropriate to where you are in the middle of your fertility journey. Um, And wherever you are, we just stand with you as the podcast, as Tennessee Reproductive Therapy, as a woman. I know my guest today too stands in solidarity with you. And so I, uh, without further ado, let me introduce you to Stephanie May Wilson. She is an author, a podcaster, a speaker, a go-to guide for 20 to 30 something women as they navigate important relationships. Y'all, if you are like, I look at her on Instagram and her podcast is girls night. And I think the background of the, everything just needs to be like, girls just want to have fun. Like that's when I see her on social media. That's like the song that pops into my head. Um, she is a gem and she is a mom through IVF. And so we are going to just auger into like, Hey, she is an infertility survivor today more than all the other accolades in the way that she supports and loves and encourages women today. Uh, she's one of us. She's one of the one in what we now call one in six, I guess. Um, and so we are just going to auger into Stephanie's story today and she's going to share some nuggets of how she did infertility and IVF. Stephanie, thanks for joining us. I have goosebumps. That is, I just, I'm so, I'm glad to be here. I love your work and, um, you got to be on my podcast a while ago and it was so good. And I just, I I wish that I had known you when I was going through this. And so, um, I just, I'm, I'm super honored to be here today. Oh, you're sweet. I wish I'd have known you too. Um, we were just talking off record that your story was about 28 months ago. Yes. And you now have the privilege as do I of looking back at infertility in hindsight Mm -hmm. to say like, this is what was going on in my life. And this is, you know, people will always say to me, like, how do I know that I'm done with infertility? And I'll say, you'll know when it doesn't consume you when it's no longer like every day, you're like, I don't know what the date is, but I know it's day 16. Hmm. or I know that I have to do my PIO injection today or whatever. So it's not like this, like, oh, well, here are the steps to healing. Healing is that's not an acute stressor for me right now. And you have that privilege of hindsight. Don't you? Yeah. Well, I was just telling you, like, because, you know, I know everyone's different when it comes to Mm. what they feel comfortable being vulnerable about or talking about or letting people into. I talked about you know, our process of getting pregnant, of going through, you know, fertility treatments and stuff in like two various degrees with people. I think only a couple of like two of my friends knew we were trying. Mm. We didn't tell our families for a year because oh. I was so excited about the idea of getting to surprise them with the fact that we were oh, pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so we, I mean, and then also like you know, a lot of the trying, a lot of the, you know, when we were going through, um, IUI and then IVF and stuff, we, I did talk about it with some people, but I didn't talk about it as much as I would have thought I would, because I I do tend to be a decently open book, but it was so painful to go through it that I just couldn't put words to it in real time very well. Mm. And, but I did tell you before we started recording that, um, this is 
I, because I do have 28 months under my belt of, you know, that's, that's when we were going through this, um, that it doesn't feel as tender as it used to. And so I'm, I'm really grateful for that because now I can, I can really freely talk about it without it causing Mm -hmm. me like without it causing me pain, but it, it used to. Yeah. Yeah. Do you mind sharing with us a little bit of your journey? I mean, you said the first year you just tried, you didn't, you didn't talk about it openly, even though you are an open book, because like so many people, there's this, you know, especially in the age of social media where it's like, I need to have this big moment where I tell people that we're pregnant because certainly everybody trying to conceive gets that. And then I'm going to have the gender reveal and it's all going to be really big. And then the hope for that really kind of dims, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, so the, the very beginning of our story is one that I don't, I don't know how many people share this. Um, Mm. but this is really, this was very real for me. And so I tried to talk about it just because it would have been really comforting for me to know that I wasn't alone in that. Mm. Um, but for the longest time, I didn't know that I wanted to be a mom Mm. and I just, you know, I've always been really excited about my career. That's always been, you know, my dreams have been travel and career. And I did want to fall in love and get married. And like, those were the things that I like was up at night dreaming about. And I really thought that at some point I would want to be a mom. Like at Mm. some point that desire would show up for me. And I mean, it just didn't for a really long time. And I remember, um, you know, people are well-meaning, most of them, but they ask really invasive questions about your life. And so when you're in high school, it's like, where are you going to go to college? And like, of course that puts so much pressure on you. And then it's, you know, when are you going to start dating someone or when are you guys going to get engaged? And then the second you get married, you kind of feel like maybe you're out of the woods. And then immediately people are asking you about kids. And that's when the, the real, like, um, anxiety first showed up for me where, you know, we, we'd been married for like, a year, six months, a year, something like that. And I think someone started to ask or, you know, talk about our future kids. And we both were like, probably someday. Um, but I just didn't feel like I was anywhere close to that someday being right now. Mm. Um, and I wrestled with that for several years trying to, and, and the older we got, the longer we were married, the more, um, the more like actively and consistently I wrestled with it. And I asked, all of my friends' questions, you know, the, the, who had kids, you know, what is this actually like? Do you like this? Like, is it, is this people say it's hard? Why is it hard? Like, do, do I want to do this? And we had some really big conversations for a really, really long time. And I felt a lot of anxiety about this gigantic life-changing decision. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, after years of, of wrestling and asking questions and wondering and praying and, you know, just trying to figure out if this is something I even wanted to do, um, we both came to the conclusion that we wanted to be parents and we were really excited about it. And we thought, you know, it's been years coming that we have made the decision to start to try. And so that felt like a really big deal to like officially pull the goalie to like figure out what an ovulation predictor kit is to find out that you can only get pregnant for a short window each month. Totally didn't know that. Um, and so like, there was just this huge thing leading up to, okay, we're ready. And then we started trying. So we'd been married for several years before we started trying five or so. Um, and then I was about 30 when we started trying. And, um, so no one would test us. Everyone just Mm. said like, okay, like give it a shot. And that's one of the things that I really wish, um, 
had been different. Like, mm-hmm. I really wish that there was more access or more like, um, I wish that we could have gone into this with all the, with all the information, um, yeah. instead of, instead of going through this, like really long, sad process and then finding out, oh, well this it's not, it wasn't going to work for you. And here's why, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, that actually wouldn't have helped in our specific situation. Um, because we tried for 14 months mm-hmm. before we finally, um, I think at about 11 months, we started doing some different tests and all the tests were coming back like totally fine. Like we were pictures mm-hmm. of health. All of our numbers were great. Like all my tubes were open. And, um, finally we went, uh, we went to like a actual fertility clinic at about 14 months. They did more tests and diagnosed us with, uh, unexplained infertility, which is the most helpful diagnosis there is. <laughs> just kidding. Not Which is almost like a slap in the face, right? What it yeah. actually means is like, we don't know enough about infertility yet, but we struggle with it. But for coding purposes, we have to say that it's unexplained infertility and that's our fake diagnosis, which is so frustrating Yeah, because it's remember, one more d- person that misunderstands you. It's, I remember doing the, the dye test and I'm like laying there on the table and the guy's like, yeah, you know, we're seeing the dye go through your fallopian tubes and like everything's open. And I think that what I said was like, he's like, it looks, everything looks great. And I said, damn it. Like, yeah, because if I, like, I wanted to know if if we knew what was wrong, then we could fix it. And there wasn't anything that they could find that was wrong. And so like, it just, the mystery continued. And that was really, that was really frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. So you do all of this and damn it, everything's okay. Yeah. Where do you go from there? Like, where does somebody go with an, I mean, one third of people deal with an uh, unexplained infertility diagnosis. So for all the people, like, where did you go next with that? Um, you know, we, I did, it was a big deal to go from like my normal, normal OB to the, like to, to make an appointment at a fertility clinic. Like that was, um, or a specialist, I guess, like that was a really big deal because it was sort of like, okay, this is really happening. Um, but then when we sat down with them, I remember feeling, um, I, so, so we're sitting down and I'm telling the doctor, you know, they're looking over our, you know, test results and everything. And, and I'm like, okay, so today should be day, whatever. And I just like, you know, used an, an OPK and, um, and it said that like, I was ovulating, but now I'm not. And like, I'm using this watch that I spent a billion dollars on, you mm. know, to try to tell me if I'm ovulating or not, whatever. And I don't, I don't, I mean, it was a minute ago, so I don't remember if this is exactly how it was, but in my memory, he like put his hand on my hand and was like, we're past that now. (gasps) And that just took my breath away. How did it feel to be in that room? It, uh, so I, maybe that would be like, like, it felt so comforting to me that I didn't have to, wow count anymore. I didn't have to track anymore. I wasn't the captain of this ship that like, I I didn't have to chart this path and maybe get it wrong. Like that was always my fear was like, maybe I just misunderstood the results or maybe I didn't try hard enough, or maybe we should have had sex on this day instead of this day or whatever. And it's like, he, by sitting in that room and in that moment, he like, I, I mean, I didn't have control over anything anyway, but he like took the ownership off of me and carried it for me. Mm. And I was like, okay. Okay. Like I can stop tracking. I can stop. Um, and I mean, there were other things to track after that, you know, but it was, but it, I just, I didn't, they gave me a chart. They gave me 
medicine. They told me how much to use. They told me how to do it. They told me like, I didn't have to be in charge anymore. And that brought me so much relief, just Mm -hmm. total relief. So our, our first step, um, was to do, um, I I'm going to like mess up some of these terms. So you'll have to help me because some of them, I feel like I didn't really say it right in the moment. Um, but we did like medicated IUI, like, okay. So Mm -hmm. IUI with, with, um, I think we did one round of Clomid. Is that right? Clomid. And then, um, for some reason we switched to a different medicine that was like similar. Okay. Um, and I, so I think we did three rounds and then we did like one for good measure because that, I think that day when we went into the doctor, I happened to be like, it happened to be the right timing. And so they're like, we might as well just like throw one more at the wall and see if it sticks. Um, Oh, so you sent your husband into the other room and you're just like, I'll be laying here. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we're like, okay, I mean, might as well. We, you know, it's so much cheaper. It's less invasive. Although they, um, I did have like decently painful IUIs. Like they just had a hard time getting that. We're like Mm -hmm. all friends here, right? Like, yeah, getting the like catheter in. And so I really, it was actually not no big deal for me. Like it was actually kind of painful. They had to like, Mm. I don't know, push whatever they were doing around. It was was like, yeah, it was, it was not great. Um, so it, uh, anyway, so, so I was, but I was glad to try again because it's so much cheaper and so much, Um, less of a process than IVF, but they did tell us that, and I don't know the exact statistics, but it was like, you can do it up to six times because the medicine's so intense. They, they, they generally don't want you to do more than six, but the stats of it actually working after three or four are pretty low. Mm. Um, so he was like, we'll do three or four or we'll do three. And then it just happened to work out for us to do a fourth. And then, um, he was like, and then we're, we're looking at IVF and, um, I felt a lot of relief when we first were at, at the doctor, but when, when we started talking about IVF, I felt really pretty heavy about it because yeah. it was like, this is not, this is a big deal. This is yeah. crazy expensive. It's really invasive. It's a lot of medicine. It just, IVF was like this really hard, heavy, scary thing that a lot of people have had to do that. I just did not anticipate being part of my story. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there going like, we're about to do this. And that was just pretty wild to, to swallow. Stephanie, that sentence right there that you just said, we never expected to have to do this. Nobody starts out their journey and is like, okay, well, we're going to not be successful at something, or we can even say fail at something for like a year, year and a half. That sounds great. And then once we're done with that, my next menu item that I want to order is IVF. Yeah. I, so one of the things that I read during this time, I, um, it was, I think, uh, I don't remember exactly when it came out, but Michelle Obama's book becoming had come out mm-hmm. and she talks in it about how they, uh, struggled with infertility and they, um, they did IVF, I think for both of their kids. Oh, well, wow. and I totally did not know that. Like, that's something you don't ever get to hear about your president and first lady and hearing her talk about it though. They both are just these like wildly brilliant, highly educated lawyers, um, that are so successful and and so successful at everything that they do. And they're the kind of, they're type A people. They're like, get it done, make a plan, yeah, you know, achieve, execute, execute. And she was like, it was so 
frustrating that no matter what we did, we couldn't make this happen for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I felt I resonated with that so much because my husband and I are the same way. We're both like firstborn, go get them kind of people. And we're like, what do you mean? I can't go get them on this. Like we're doing all the right things and we still can't make this happen. And that's just a really, um, it's a hard thing, like no matter your personality, but that was kind of a, a detail for us that I really resonated with, with like, yeah, everything else in our lives, we've been able to like work hard enough to make this happen. And this is just, this is not that kind of thing. Right. I mean, when you think about how little control we actually have, but how much control we convince ourselves that we do have, like we're talking cells, right. That are supposed to find each other in the great wilderness of a womb, right? Mm -hmm. And are supposed to connect and divide. And we're like, "Uh uh-huh, I have control over this and we have none. And the sense of control turning into surrender and this feeling of failure and then resignation, like, Mm -hmm. fine, I'll do IVF. You take all the DNA that is supposed to work magically and miraculously for me. Yeah. And now you're going to do it for us. Talk to me how you go ahead. Well, it, um, the thing that I think is so hard about it is that there is so much that is out of our control. Like, yeah, we can't control ourselves. Like that's crazy. But at the same time, the fact that, I I mean, I was like obsessively reading all the articles on my fertility uh, on like my, you know, um, like tracker app, period tracker app, um, trying to figure out like, okay, what can I do with like to increase my, or to like improve my, uh, like cervical fluid or what can I do or mucus or what, what can I do to whatever? Like there is a degree of control. Like, and, and that's the part that I didn't know for the longest time because I just, all I was focused on during health class in high school was like not dying of embarrassment. And so I don't, I didn't know honestly how my reproductive system worked until I needed to try to make a baby. I just was trying to not make a baby for the, well, and that's what they focus on. Like health class convinced me if I sat on a toilet seat after a boy, I was going to get pregnant or sat or like kiss one in a hot tub or something. Yeah. Oh, like totally. It was over. Yeah. Nine months later, I was going to be full of shame for sure. Yes. And so it's like, you're focused on trying not to get pregnant and then you have to figure out like how to get pregnant. And then you find out that you actually do have to show up at a certain time every month. And it really matters. Like it it really matters that, that you get the timing, right. Um, Mm -hmm. otherwise like it really is, it's not going to happen. And so that degree of control, but not like the, the, you have to control some of this, but also you can't control all of it is really, um, it's a really hard thing to balance. It's a really hard thing to balance. So how, I mean, you hear the words, we have to do IVF. How did you and your husband together face forward and go into the world of like, here's, here's IVF. I don't know what to expect. I guess you're going to tell me a little bit more of what I need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, but how did you wrap your emotionally wrap your mind around here we go in IVF. It's expensive, whatever. I, you know, it's one of those things. And this is like some of the biggest moments in my life. I'm like, how did this decision happen? And it's like, I don't know. It just sort of did. And that's kind of how IVF was like there. Mm-hmm. We just, we're going to, we just knew we were going to do it. 
Mm. And, um, you know, I think that I, I don't, I honestly don't remember how we made the decision. It just, we just knew that we were going to continue walking Mm. forward as long as the path, you know, for, for, we were going to just walk to the end of the road. Um, and then if we, if we didn't like, if we tried everything and, you know, couldn't have kids, then maybe we would have walked down a different road or tried to try something else or whatever, but we were just going to take the road as far as it Mm. went. Um, so I think, I mean, honestly, I just felt heavy. It Mm. was right around, um, I think we did our first IUI in like July and then we, um, then we, we did IVF starting in January. So it was like maybe October or November. I think we took our like IVF class or something in November. Um, one of the things about it was I remember, um, we're sitting in this class and there's a whole bunch of other couples in there and they're talking to us about how IVF works. And they're like, okay, you, they're talking to us about like the numbers and all of it. Mm. And I think I thought that like, one IVF was like a sure thing. Like, you know, you go through all this and then they a hundred percent give you a baby. Like that's how it mm-hmm. works. And that's not true. And also the, the amount of things that can go wrong at every step mm. or, or the fact that like, not every, um, not every, like they're like, okay, so we'll, um, do the retrieval. And if you get 10 eggs, well then statistically, like, um, you know, we'll, we'll fertilize them and then half of them will take, like half of them will successfully fertilize mm-hmm. and then half of them will reach, you know, will like survive for five days or something like that, or yeah. half of them will be, um, genetically healthy. And it just like, I'm sitting there like kind of getting a breakdown of all the steps that happen from like to make a baby. And I'm like, how does anyone do this naturally? Like, how does anyone yeah, do this where right. they just like have sex and it happens because the amount of things that have to go right for a baby to happen are just wild yeah. and seeing it broken down scientifically like that, even, even controlled, even with all these things controlled, mm-hmm. it's like all these things still have to line up. Um, and I think at one point my husband goes, are you kidding me? Like <laughs> out loud, like really out loud, um, that, that out of like how many millions of sperm that it's like the, just the statistics are, are mind blowing, um, that it doesn't that like how many things have to go. Right. And so, yeah, he out loud was like, are you kidding me? And everyone just like turns to look at him. I think the like record scratched and it got silent in there all of a sudden. And, um, <laughs> but so we, we really did. We just felt heavy and sad. And like, we were just trudging forward with like really heavy backpacks on, um, yeah. as we, as we, you know, got through Christmas and, um, and got ready And then we, um, started the shots, I think early January and, um, they were able to retrieve, uh, my body didn't react the way that they were hoping. Like I just Mm. didn't have as many follicles. It didn't look like as many, um, it didn't look like the follicles were growing in the way that they were hoping. So like there were, there were a lot of, a a lot of tears and they, Mm. I think at one point asked if I wanted to stop. I think at one point we had to decide if we wanted to stop the process and try again, or if we wanted to go forward with the retrieval. Sure. And I think that we decided to go forward because there was no guarantee that it was going to go better next time. Yeah. And, um, 
because it, I mean, it's so expensive. It's so, I don't know. We just, I don't, I don't totally remember our rationale, but we just decided to go forward anyway. And so I think they were able to get seven eggs. Um, five of them, I think fertilized three of them survived long enough to like get to the freezing process. And then when they genetically tested them, one of them was healthy. One of them. So, I mean, substantiating the statistics of like, you can have seven in your case, but like, it's almost like we half and then half again and then half again. And then, yep. I mean, and you're really speaking to Stephanie, something that is a misconception with IVF. We think IVF is a vending machine. I'm going to do the shots. I'm going to put in the money. I'm going to push the button and now it's going to come this baby. Mm -hmm. And it's almost a guarantee. And that's how society looks at it. And some people think like, like Paris Hilton's article a couple months ago that was like, I'm going to have boy girl twins. And so we're doing IVF privilege. Um, But for, for us standing in the midst of I'm desperate, like people, most people, uh, non-celebrities get to IVF and we are, we are re exhausted. We have diagnoses, we have surgical scars, we have pain. Mm -hmm. Our, our, our peers have lapped us. Sometimes the world misunderstands us. Our families are becoming impatient with us. And then we have to deal with, okay, well, here we go again, more Mm -hmm. disappointment. This isn't a guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I remember, um, this is like jumping forward, but when I had my first period after my girls were born, I cried. Mm. I felt just this wave of sadness. And I was like, where is this coming from? And then I remember that it it was really triggering for me of all Mm. the times that I had started bleeding and been so devastated by that. And obviously that wasn't the case. It was like, I really hope I'm not pregnant right now because I'm very new at this mama twins thing, um, which we'll get to, but, uh, it, it was, it was triggering and it, it brought back just this flood of, um, just crushing disappointment that I would feel Mm. once a month. And then you have to hope. And the cruelty of it is like, you have to hope enough to try and to try several times, you know, Mm. in this month. And then you have to wait. And during that time, you're like, it's not going to happen. I can tell it's not going to happen or it's going to happen. And then the thing that was so infuriating to me is that as I'm like scrolling through all these articles on my apps, it's saying like, you know, these are the signs of early pregnancy. And it's like the exact same signs as PMS. They are indistinguishable. And progesterone. Yes. Yes. So when you add yes. And so I'm like, okay. So even when I was pregnant, I was like, I don't think I'm pregnant because these are all the PMS symptoms. Like they, I just, there was no telling. So you just have to wait and like, try to be a body detective or try not to think about it for two weeks, which is impossible. And then you are just crushed. And then like, it's not like you get a present on the day that you find out that you're not pregnant. It's like, then you're PMSing and you're like, like your period to contend with. And it's just Mm -hmm. a lot. And then you have to hope again. And it's just, your rebound rate has to be really pretty quick. And it just is this constant cycle of disappointment. And so, yeah, to like put in so much more uh, like money and time and shots and Mm -hmm. surgeries. Um, and then to know that like, it's still not guaranteed is, um, you're like, oh gosh, the disappointment on the other side of this is going to be 
so much heavier. And we really, like, it was a, it was a really hard thing to hear that we had one healthy embryo one because we knew that we knew that we wanted to have more than one kid. Um, we, and we knew that there was no backup plan. Like if something happened, which things, all kinds of things can happen, you know, it's getting pregnant is not also is not a guarantee of a healthy pregnancy is not the guarantee of a baby. And, um, so we're like, there is, if this doesn't, if something happens, we have to start all over. Like, I just don't know if I can stomach that. And so having all of our eggs in this one tiny little egg basket was just, it was a lot, it was a lot of, um, it was a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Yes. Right. I mean, you are not in the season, so I'm sure you haven't listened to this podcast, but what we talk about so often is we call infertility, reproductive trauma. And so much of what you've been talking about, Stephanie, with the, the constant chronic disappointment, the roller coaster of emotions, the trauma trigger of like, I got everything I want with having twin girls and I'm starting my period. You weren't trying to conceive then, but it's mm-hmm. like period pregnant people, uh, having to pee on a stick ever again. Like there are so many triggers to the trauma and co-occurring traumas that trip us up every month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every time somebody announces that they're pregnant, mm-hmm. every time you go back to the doctor, every time, you know, you have to go for a post miscarriage doctor's appointment and everybody is sitting in there pregnant, pregnant. Oh yeah. It's all the time. Yeah. So you have that it's not like, it's not like over a year, you know, it's like you have to get up your hope and then you have to try for a little while. And then you have several months waiting. And then you have like a several month, like, you know, healing time before you have to start again. It's like, no, you have a week, you know, you've two weeks to, to like, this is like, not actually what's happening, but like to get over it and like enough that you can try again, like it, to, to get up your hopes to get like, I don't know, get out of bed or I guess get in bed. I don't know both. I mean, and we talk about the, the rate of depression and anxiety yeah. because you're on this like hamster wheel month after month of like, okay, well, disappointment. I can sit in disappointment for about seven days and then I'm going to stop bleeding and then I'm going to find my hope and I'm going to have you know, obligatory apathetic sex. And then I'm right back into the anxiety and hypervigilance. And then I'm set up for a disappointment yet again, Mm -hmm. until miraculously at some point, the stick says pregnant, Mm -hmm. which let's get, you know, back to you. You are, uh, have one embryo and you're dealing with the weight of that. Like the, what ifs this doesn't work, whatever. So how did you, move forward? How did you decide to transfer? How did that all, all go for you? Um, well, the crazy thing about all this is that this was happening in our, our, um, we started IVF in January of 2020. Oh, you had a COVID baby. I had a, I had COVID baby. So, um, and we did our, um, we had about a month in between the retrieval and, or six weeks or something. And then when we had to start prepping for the transfer, And, um, 
so that time was nice. Like it was nice to just get to breathe and to just not, and like not think about it. And, or I mean, try, you know, but like yeah, to, to not sure. have anything like active that we had to be doing, um, give my body a minute. And, um, so then, you know, we started all of the shots to prep my body for the transfer. And then a week before the transfer, um, the American association of reproductive whatever. I can't remember. ASRM. Yes. Thank you. Um, s- s- recommended, um, that all, uh, like cycles be stopped because of COVID. Like it oh. was, it was like, you know, stop everything where you are because, you know, I mean, all elective surgeries and stuff were canceled, like everything, sure. but that was part of it. And we're like, we're supposed to transfer in one week. Are you kidding me? And our, we, you know, we called our doctor and they're like, no, you're already into this. We're going to keep going. But they okay. did, they did shut down the clinic. I think the week after my transfer, um, wow. and, or they, they, uh, shut down like the surgical part yeah. of the, of the clinic. So we still were able to go to the doctor and stuff like we needed to. But, um, so that was crazy. It was like, oh my gosh, we've gone through all of this. And then you're going to shut, like, then everything's going to get shut down. But then the other crazy part is that every time we'd go to the doctor, we were really fortunate in the fact that they always let my husband come in. So he didn't, he didn't have to miss anything. And that wasn't, I had a lot of friends pregnant at the same time. That wasn't the case. Like you had to go into, you found out the gender by yourself. You found out like, you know, all these things because you couldn't bring in anybody else with you. Um, but he got to come in with me, but I mean, we would go to our appointments with a truly like our masks on, um, sanitizer in our back pockets. And then, a tub of Clorox wipes under our arms. Like we would just go in, like it was like a Starbucks cup, like a, you know, it is like, yeah, it sure. just would be under our arm. Um, and so that was, I mean, how we'd go to all our doctor's appointments. And, wow. um, so we ended up doing the transfer and then we had to wait. And of course I'm feeling all of the, <coughs> excuse me, I'm hearing, I'm feeling all the same things. Like my boobs hurt. I'm like a little crampy. Like I'm hungry. Was that nausea? I don't know. And, but those are all the sure. same things that I thought Hypervigilance. every single month. Yeah. And it was never anything. And so, um, I didn't have any, any leaning one way or another as to whether this worked or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, uh, finally, like, you know, I got to go in got my blood test um, because they said, do not pee on a stick, do not pee on a stick because it will show positive because of all the progesterone that you're and all the everything that you're pumping into your body, like it will show a positive pregnancy test, even if it's not true. And so we don't want you to go through that. Don't pee on a stick. Um, so I went in to get my blood test and then our, we had the same nurse all the way through IVF and she was just amazing. And, um, she called us and said, okay, like, are you guys ready? And, and she said, you guys are pregnant. And wow. I just, I did pee on a stick after that because I had never gotten to, I was convinced that pregnancy tests like didn't work. Like they would always just tell you that they sure. like it's, they are only able to give one answer. And so I did pee on a stick so that I got to see it be positive. Um, mm. but the crazy thing was that she said, you know, you're, you're going to have to help me here too. What is the level that they're looking for? It's not the HCG. It's H- HCG. Yes. She was like your HCG level. We would have said you were pregnant if it was over. I don't know, 20 or something like that. I think mine was like 500. She was like, that's a lot. Okay. So we'll have you come back in a couple of days to make sure that's still rising. Um, and so I went back a couple of days later to see if it was still rising and they were going to have me come in a third time, but that next day or next time I went in, it had quadrupled and she was like, okay, so like your HCG is, is rising. So we're not going to have you come in again. You don't need to worry about that. But I do want to let you know that occasionally this 
um, quick rise in HCG is an indication of multiples. And we're like, say what? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what? Um, so we had to wait like a little longer and, um, and we had our first ultrasound, I think right around six weeks. And I started feeling terrible, Mm. really early, like really, really, really sick, really, really early. Um, and it was, so we went in for our doctor's appointment. My whole goal there was to ask the doctor for literally any medicine they could give me to not feel as miserable as I felt. Um, which is also a weird thing. It's a weird thing to want something so bad and then to, to get it and have it be instantly hard. Like you just don't. Um, and then also the, the fact that you wanted it so bad, doesn't make you feel any less sick. Um, right. And that's the other thing that you kind of don't expect. And so, um, we went into the doctor and they said, uh, he, he checked, you know, checked everything out and said, here's the sack, here's the heartbeat. Um, that's that everything looks great. And he was just about to be so. And then in that moment, I thought, okay, so that means that there's not just, it's just one, like mm-hmm. we're not having twins. And my husband in his head was like, where's the other one. Mm. And, um, so he poked around a little more desperate before he was done. He goes, actually, like, do you see this? This is a sack. This is a heartbeat. And then he moved the ultrasound probe and was like, this is a sack. This is a heartbeat. He was like, there are two babies in here. And our minds were just like truly, truly blown. It, that was the thing that we, you know, as, as people of faith, I had a lot of questions for God about where he was in all of this. And, um, I I wrestled with him really hard, like Mm. through all of this, because I just felt like this is happening for everybody else. And it's not happening for me. We're trying so hard. We're praying, we're doing all the things like, why, why would you like, and then the fact that everything was looking right, you know, it's, Mm. it wasn't, there wasn't something wrong with my body. It felt like, God, you can fix. And even if there was like, you can fix this. Why aren't you fixing this? I don't understand. Um, I don't know the thing that my husband walked away with, which I just love is that no matter how hard we try and no matter the ways that we intervene, we still cannot make life happen. Mm. That, that still is like, that still is only, only God's to do. And that, I think that's cool because I think a lot of people, you know, one of the knocks on IVF sometimes is that you're like playing God, playing God. Sure. And that's, it's just not true because like we couldn't, no, no matter what you do, like there still is this incredible divine supernatural like thing to it. And that was just so, so evident to us in the fact that we did everything that we could do and we still couldn't get pregnant. And then we invited a lot of help in and it still wasn't looking great. Um, but then we had this one embryo and like, it feels like the loaves and fishes times a million that God took this and it's, you know, people always ask us if twins run in our family, my, my grandmother, actually one of my favorite people in the world was an identical twin. Mm. Um, and so, but so yes, but no, like, because identical twins don't run in families. It's always a miracle. It's always, Mm -hmm. you cannot make identical twins happen. And so it just was this really beautiful reminder that, um, I don't know. God was paying attention to us and, and I love that, uh, that he can do things that we can't, Mm -hmm. we can't. And so thank you for sharing your story, you know, piggybacking on that, like what a miracle for you. Um, I'm really aware of all the people right now that are listening to this, that are saying like, God's not paying attention to me or, 
um, whatever. Now you on your girls night podcast on the courses you've created, whatever, like you're, a, a mentor to millions of women, how I want to give you the opportunity to speak into the lives of those listening to this right now that are still in the trenches that are like, I haven't gotten my miracle God or my higher power or the universe or whatever is abandoning me. Yeah. He's not showing up for me right now. Like what are, how, how do you speak into them as a survivor of this, as somebody who, I, I mean, I watch you tell the story and it's like, there are parts of us that are past tense, but also like you can put yourself back there really easily. I mean, I have a decade since we tried to conceive and I am not in that position 99.5% of my life. I can put myself back there. The other day I found one of my old ultrasounds of a baby that didn't make it. And I was like, oh, right. I remember that pain when so often I'm with other people in theirs. Yeah. And so for the people that are still journeying, give them, give them a pep talk, give them a nugget, give them like this virtual hug from Stephanie Mae Wilson saying like, I got you. Yeah. You're okay. You're going to be okay. Yeah. I think it, it is really, um, it's like, I almost didn't want to finish the story. You know, I almost didn't want to tell the end of it because, um, because I know that there are so many people who are sitting here who are like, okay, yeah, that's great for you, but that isn't happening for me. Um, I felt that way for a really long time. Mm. And it is, it's really, really hard to, it's, it's like, there's, there's, hope in hearing like someone who's basically like given up and something beautiful happening in their story, because it's a reminder that like, maybe yours isn't over yet. This is so hard. And we're getting into just like such big, like, um, questions about the world and questions about Mm. the universe that like are honestly way above my pay grade. Um, (laughs) but, but I I think there's also so much hope that somebody can have. And like, you survived my heart. Like my story ended, like I'm still barren. I will forever be barren. I'm a mom by way of adoption, but people can easily look at my story and be like, okay, well, she's okay. Like she dealt with the grief, but people don't always want the ending that I have. People want the ending that you have. Yeah. And so not comparing, I mean, we're both okay in our journeys. Like I, I love how mine ended. Yeah. People want the hope of how yours ended. Yeah. I think even if it's like, I'm not there yet. And that's really painful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like, for me, I believe with my whole heart that God loves us Mm. and that he loves us more than we can imagine, more than we deserve, more than we could earn and more than we could lose. I just believe that God loves us and I believe that he sees us. And I believe that he cares about our families immensely. And I don't totally get why, like, I'll never say that everything happens for a reason because I think that that I can't, I can't believe that God would like stand in the way of our families of us getting pregnant. Like, I just can't, I can't believe that he would like do that to us, but I do know that our 
world is really broken and that our bodies don't work the way that they should and, or the way that we want them to, or, you know, timing doesn't matter. I mean, they're just, there are all kinds of things that go wrong, but what I do know is that God loves us. He loves me and he loves you. And I believe that even when things are really, really, really bad, that he can still do beautiful things through them and out of them and because of them. Mm. And, um, he, he's done that in my life in all kinds of different ways. And I just, I don't know how everyone's story is going to end that's listening, but I do believe that good, beautiful things are ahead for you Mm. in one way or another. I just want, Oh, I want to give that a moment to sink in because you're saying good things are ahead. And I remember listening to the people saying that to me, feeling like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to drink that in. I'm going to try and be filled in that knowing like, okay, regardless of how long it takes, regardless of how complicated it is and how many detours the journey takes, mm-hmm. we're going to be okay. Yeah. Childlessness, adoption, mir- miracle twins, one baby, whatever. Yeah. The story always, even if it doesn't have a pretty bow is okay. Can Yeah. Can I read something? Yeah. Okay. Um, so while, so I, I told you guys that, um, IVF started in January. Um, and then we started shots for like, you know, prepping everything for the transfer in February. And then it happened in March. Um, well, so in February, I, um, knew that I, I mean, I wrestled so hard with how to trust God with all Mm -hmm. of this Mm -hmm. and with just like, yeah, it just was really, really hard. And so one thing that I really wanted to do was I wanted to write down all of the things that had helped me in the past, Mm. um, and all the things that were currently helping me so that I didn't forget them. And also so that I could share them. And so I did a, a, like kind of a writing retreat in February and wrote most of, um, this prayer journal called the between places. And, um, it was cool because I wrote it before, I knew how the story was going to turn out. And Mm. in the beginning of the book, I say like in six weeks, I think it was about six weeks. I'm going to find out if we're pregnant or if I'm Mm. back to the drawing board. Um, but this is what's like carrying me through. And so, um, I just, this is like the very end of it or leading into the very end of it. And, um, this came to mind. And so I just wanted to read it if that's okay. Great. Yes. Okay. So, um, like I said, the book's called the between places and it says, Uh, here's how life would look. If I was in charge, I would hereby abolish all between places. You want to get married. You get to get married. Here's your husband. Isn't he amazing? You want to have a baby? Boom. You're pregnant. I would also abolish all morning sickness while I'm at it. Trying to make a big decision. Just click here to schedule your one-on-one with God. You'll sit down over coffee. He'll give you a map and Mm step-by-step instructions that will take you from where you are today to the very best possible outcome with the least amount of pain, frustration, and detours along the way. It sounds so convenient this way, right? There have been several seasons of life where I was furious that this wasn't the actual process, Hmm. but then I remembered all of the wonderful gifts that God has given me in the between places of my life. 
It was during a horrendous heartbreak, one that lasted much longer than I wanted it to, that I met Jesus in the first place. Mm. It was through that heartbreak, the in-between awful messiness of it, that my heart finally cracked open enough for God to slip in. Once he was there, he transformed everything. He took the pieces of my heart, the shards of my life, and put them back together in a way that was so much more beautiful than anything I would have designed on my own. I remembered how terrified I was when a few months before college graduation, the journalism career I'd spent years preparing for slipped through my fingers right as I was about to step into it. I remember how lost I felt. I also remember everything that happened next. I remember the internship I did at my college ministry mentoring sorority girls. And I remember how during that year, God gave me a heart for women. He taught me how to be a big sister and a best friend and the power that comes from being those things for each other. I'm awestruck at how he hasn't wasted any of my previous experiences either. As we speak, I'm writing this prayer journal, which really is the perfect combination of all the journalism skills I learned in college and the heart for women he uncovered in me. While I felt like I was aimlessly wandering through different possible career paths, God was weaving together a job description, a career, and a calling that fits me perfectly, one I never even knew was possible. What about the string of jobs Carl and I lost early in our marriage? We lost four jobs between the two of us before our first anniversary. And while that was a season of excruciating uncertainty, sandwiched between the chapter uh, transitions of getting married and moving to a new state, it's because those job losses that Carl and I both took the leap to do the things God actually created us to do. Um, if we hadn't had that push, I don't know that we ever would have jumped. And it brings tears to my eyes to imagine what we would have missed if we had stayed where we were. The truth is that the between places are where the best parts of my life have happened. They're where I've changed the most, grown the most, and see, seen God do the most beautiful and miraculous things. Erasing those between places would erase the seasons where God tended and grew my favorite parts of my life, my favorite parts of myself. But here's another thing that comes from these between places. I heard a story uh, one time that describes it perfectly. There's a guy walking down the street one day when he suddenly falls into a hole. The hole is deep, and no matter what he tries, he just can't get himself out. He starts calling up for help. And after a few minutes, a doctor walks by doc. He says, I'm down in this hole. Can you help me? The doctor says, sure. He writes him a prescription, tosses it in the hole and keeps on going. Mm. Next, a priest walks by father. The guy uh, yells up when he sees him. I'm down in this hole. Can you help me? The priest says, of course. He writes down a prayer, tosses it into the hole and keeps on going. Finally, the guy's friend walks by. He yells up when he sees him. Joe, hey, Joe, I'm down here in this hole. Can you help me out? Just as of course, and proceeds to jump down into the hole too. What are you doing? The man exclaims. Now we're both stuck down here. But Joe shakes his head. I've down. I've been down in this hole before, and I know the way out. Mm. When you know, uh, when you walk through something hard in life, you are uniquely gifted to jump into that particular hole the next time someone falls in. If you've been through a miscarriage, a painful breakup, a job loss, or the death of a parent, that experience transforms you into the exact person someone will need when they find themselves going through that thing too. I've seen this play out in my life over and over again, and each time it does, the beauty of it astounds me. Just a few weeks ago, Carl and I got a call from some friends who said they wanted to catch up. We talked about all kinds of different things before there was a long pause. They took a deep breath and said, we know you guys have been doing IVF. Can you tell us a little bit about it? I somehow knew that that's why they were calling. Even before I picked up the phone, they'd been trying to get pregnant for a while and IVF was their next step too. They had all the information from doc all the information from doctors and all the insight the internet can provide, but they needed some friends who had been in that hole who could sit there and help and be with them for a while. I've been through some brutally hard seasons of my life. And while in the moment I might've wished them away in hindsight, I'm actually honored to have lived through these seasons. It's such a gift to get to pass along all the wisdom and resources that were there that were so helpful to me along the way. And even more so the reminders of who God was in these between places, the truths that have positively saved my life as I made my way through. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I would actually do those hard things again. If it meant seeing God do big, miraculous things, and that I could be living proof of the fact that he really does answer our prayers. Maybe this sounds crazy to you on some days it does to me too. And of course, this isn't quite so easy to say when I'm right in the thick of it, but I would go, th go through these things again. If that meant that my friends wouldn't have to walk through them alone. 
that's the power of our between places. Mm. And that is who you are and how you live. What I know about you to be true is your heart and your love for women because of the road that you've walked. Thanks, friend. And you are in those spaces and a gift to so many. I say this quote all the time, but I think it's beautiful. C.S. Lewis has a quote that says, friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, wait, what? Me too. And that's what I love, the heartbeat behind your work and the Girls' Night podcast and what I want our work through Tennessee Reproductive Therapy to be and this podcast space to be is where we don't have answers. I don't have a roadmap for you to say, here's how we're going to get you out of it. I don't have wear a white coat and have fancy credentials after my name or nor am I smart enough to get all of that stuff. But what I can say and what we can do as women for other women is just stop and say, I've, uh uh-huh. I know. I hear you. Your words are important. I validate you. I see you. I honor you. And I, I get you. I love your heart. I feel like we could sit here for hours, but I feel like people are like, Hey, I can't sit in my car anymore waiting to walk into the office. (laughs) That's so true. That's so true. (laughs) Like how long are you going to keep me on this elliptical machine? (laughs) I am late for work. My thighs are burning. Yes. (laughs) Right. As you were reading that, which was beautiful. I did a quick Google search of how to find you. And I also did some shopping. I'm not going to lie. So friends, not, I mean, I looked at your shop online. Um, That's amazing. I wasn't like on like banana Republic or something. Stephanie may Wilson.com y'all. If you go to Stephanie may Wilson shop.com, that's M a Y you can find all of her books that I'm learning are here. The between places, every single moment, the lipstick gospel and the lipstick gospel journal. Also like a sweatshirt, which I'm pretty sure is in my cart right now. Um, super soft. (laughs) It is super soft. Well, we have a mutual friend and, uh, I know from her that it is a favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, and so y'all, if you want to follow along with Stephanie, you can find her on Insta and where else at Stephanie May Wilson. Uh, it's all like all the links are on my website, but yeah, Instagram I'm at, uh, at S May Wilson. My podcast is girls night. Um, and yeah, my, my website is sort of like this great, uh, terminal. It's like turn left for this, turn right for this. So yes, I love that. Is. So if you're new to the world of the thrive in fertility podcast, because you found this through Stephanie, um, go ahead and like us on Tennessee reproductive therapy. We can see, uh, those of you through the seasons of infertility, pregnancy, loss, pregnancy, postpartum and adoption throughout Tennessee. If you don't live in Tennessee and you're like, I need the support that Tennessee reproductive therapy could offer email me. And it will be my privilege to point you in the right direction because I think everybody needs the access to care and the wisdom and the knowledge to, because like I always say, next is pregnancy and postpartum and parenthood. And we don't want to take the trauma of infertility into those seasons. Yeah. Let's deal with infertility during infertility so that we can be present in pregnancy and prepared for postpartum. If you are listening to this Tennessee reproductive therapy, uh, or new to this world, I should say, if you're listening to this, like, Hey, um, <laughs> 
Um, but we just started a bringing home baby class, of course, to help you prepare your, uh, your relationship individually and your mental health for the transition to bringing baby home. So think like birth class, but not for the 48 hours of birth, but for everything that's going to come after, uh, amen. Right. Think of like, I always thought when we were doing premarital counseling, why isn't anybody going to talk to me once I move in with this man? And like, we are starting to like practice marriage. Why are we talking about it when I'm not really paying attention? And I'm just thinking like, I have to scratch this off. So Stephanie's like doing a little dance here. So that is the heartbeat behind, uh, the bringing home baby. And we want to help you kind of have wraparound services to the transition to parenthood. So Go like us, subscribe us, follow us. Stephanie, thank you for being here today. You're a light and a gift. Thank you so much for having me. This was, this was so good. And I just love the work that you're doing. Thanks for letting me be a small part of it. Yes, you too. All right, friends. Have a great week. Go out and thrive. Bye y'all.